is entitled Discipleship. Discipleship, and I'm on assignment. So as I complete the assignment that God has had given to me, I pray that you have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the church. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in the 16th verse, which has already been read in your hearing, but I'm going to read it again. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. He saw Simon uh, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in boats, mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee, and in the boats with the hired servant, and they went after him. They went after him. Let us pray. God, we thank you and we bless you for all that we have already experienced in you as the Spirit of God has been at work. And we thank you, O oh God, in advance for what you're going to say to us through your word. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Today is the first day I'm moving away from, uh, my, from, the, from the old things and rebooting with, the, uh, with uh, the iPad. So praise the Lord for each and every one of you. We do want to lift up our sister Lucinda, who is uh, recovering, and we thank the Lord for bringing our own Deacon Johnson back uh, to us. We'll continue to pray for all of those who are ailing today and who are not here for one reason or another. We are grateful uh, that each of you have uh, crossed the threshold of the, uh, the house of God to uh, worship with us in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Now, a survey was done uh, to determine the 10 most important decisions that we will make in our lifetime. Uh, now, what's interesting is I looked at a, a, a number of different surveys, and the order uh, differs in terms of the chronolo chronology. Uh, but in most of the lists that I uh, observed, uh, the types of decisions were either similar or identical. Uh, and so let me also add that it is believed that most of the most, most of the crucial decisions that we're going to make in a lifetime are usually decided at age 28. At age 28. And I didn't consider uh, that that time in our lives can really set the course uh, for our destiny. So if you're beyond the age of 28, don't worry. Uh, you can still uh, make decisions, and uh, those decisions ought to uh, be determined by the vision that God has given for your life and not the reverse, making your decisions based on vision, not your vision based on momentary uh, decisions. Now, here, here's uh, the first major decision, uh, having children or not having children. Uh, getting married and who you will marry, I would put that at the top of the list in terms of the kind of uh, input that they use to determine uh, what is priority. Uh, learning how to drive. I was surprised by that. Retiring. Uh, people start thinking about that much earlier these days. 
Uh, amen. I wish I had thought about it a lot earlier than I had. Uh, uh, buying property with a partner. Breaking up with a, depart, uh, a partner slash divorce. Choosing to save money. Uh, number eight, quitting a job. Uh, relocating, uh, either by moving to a different part of the city or to another state. And one of the other categories was removing or ending toxic friendships. Ending toxic friendships. Now, if I wasn't a Christian, I would consider that to be a very valid list. But you don't have to give a whole lot of thought to the fact that every one of those choices that was given have to do with the here and the now, the temporal. But if I were to make a list of the, the priority decisions that we need to make in life, there would be just three. And the first of the three would be, where are you going to spend eternity? The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if you gain the entire world, but you lose the only thing that's eternal that God has given us, his image, which is the soul? What will it profit you if you gain everything this world that is passing away can offer, but you forfeit your soul? The second most important decision is, who will you serve? Who are you going to serve? Paul put it this way, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable spiritual service. He says, and be not conformed to what? This world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable will of God. He's talking about service. So the second decision is who will you serve? Who will you serve? Where will you spend eternity? And then the final decision is, what are you going to focus on in your life? The first two decisions will determine your focus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible also says, set your, your mind on things above. Whatever you focus on will determine how you feel. And how you feel based on what you're focusing on will most often influence what you do. So if you focus on the things that are not going white today, you are going to feel bad. And if you feel bad, you're not going to have energy to do things that are good. And even if you do things that are good, you're simply going to be doing them to get them done, not because you're being directed by the Spirit of God. Where are you going to spend eternity? Who are you going to serve? And what are you going to focus on? Those first two decisions, as I've already indicated, will determine what you spend your time thinking about. Now, the first step to changing our focus, what we're thinking about, what we allow to park in our brains, is it starts with salvation, but once we have gotten saved, someone has said that salvation is free, but, salvation, that, but discipleship is costly. Now that I'm saved, there's a, there's a second call, 
And the call that we must all answer is answering the call to make disciples. If you're serving the Lord, the call that you must answer is, will I obey the mandate that he has given to me for my purpose in life, and that is to make disciples. In Mark chapter, tell your neighbor, just in case you're not awake. The brothers were a little tired this morning. Say, say, neighbor, answer the call to make disciples. Amen, amen, amen. So we already read what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We all know that verse, um, but that's a call to not only become a disciple Amen. Yeah, that sounded like almost the voice of the Lord, but <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. He's here. So, when Christ says follow me, he's saying become a disciple. Get saved. The second part of that is, I will make you disciplers, fishers of men. Now, notice the progression in this passage when you get an opportunity in verses 1 uh, through 20. The context is, before Jesus actually starts his public ministry, there is preparation for the ministry. Uh, the scripture says, in, uh, speaking in, in, in Mark ch uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 8, after, after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop to untie. And so John, was the, John the Baptist was the forerunner. He, was the, he prepared the way for the one who would come that was greater than he. He said, I baptize with water, but the one who is coming behind me baptizes with the Spirit. And so as Jesus is being baptized, you go from preparation to verification that Jesus is truly the Lamb of God who is slain from the foundations of the world in verses 9 and 10 because the Bible says, and a, the, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven declared, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. So John was the preparer. He, there was preparation, and then there was Verification, this is my beloved son. And the verification was followed by confrontation. The Bible said immediately Jesus was led from the place of baptism into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And so preparation leads to verification that thrusts Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And now you have a confrontation. And in this confrontation, Jesus gives Satan a foreshadowing of the ultimate victory that awaits Satan that will determine his fate, that just as Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness by not yielding to temptation to turn stones into bread or to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple or to bow when Satan offered him all the kingdom of the world, Jesus was saying, just like I defeated you in the wilderness, I will ultimately bruise your head by dying on the cross. 
and breaking the bond of sin over all of mankind. Preparation leads to verification, then there's confrontation. And after confrontation, then you have a transition. The Bible says in verses 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus started his public ministry. So you go from John being the primary person, the preparation, and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and God speaking, this is my beloved son, verification, confrontation leads to transition. Public ministry hasn't started yet. After John was put in jail, then, then Jesus is thrust into the primary place of ministry. So you have transition. But transition is followed by mobilization. It was after the preparation, verification, confrontation, transition, then Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. If Jesus had never called disciples, his ministry would have never amounted to anything more than a four-walled ministry. It would have simply been a holy huddle with all of that, the verification, all of that meant nothing until there was mobilization of individuals who Christ called to be saved, discipled, that they may make disciples of others. I wonder today if you're willing to answer the call. I wonder today if you recognize that it's a privilege to be in a position where the Lord wants to use you. I want you to understand that he doesn't need any of us, even if you and I decided never to come back or to praise him. The Bible says that the very rocks will cry out. Sometimes I wonder, I remember how many times I've been at graduations and, and, and names are called for recognitions and honors, and, and, and my name would never be called in high school. And, and I would say the next year my name will get called, and next year my name will get called. And, and then finally until I got to... I didn't have to just think about being called. I got called. And so you don't have to just be sitting in the audience applauding for what God has done for somebody else. All of us have an opportunity to celebrate the Lord right now. You don't have to wait until next Sunday. You don't have to wait until the crowd is a little larger. You don't have to wait until somebody gives you permission to praise him. If he's been good to you, you are part of the group that he is mobilizing, that he's calling to serve him. Now, I just want to share uh, four things with you today about answering the call. The source of the call to follow me, say follow me, demands an answer. The source, where it originates, the call, it was Jesus who said, follow me. Me, not Benson, uh, not your relative or your boss, but it is Jesus. Now, we need to understand that there's authority in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee. How many does that include? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
that Jesus is Lord. At the name of Jesus, we know that demons tremble. Neither is there salvation in any other name given unto men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's authority. When you use the the name of Jesus, there's authority in that name. That's why we need to respond to the call. There's authority. There's also assurance in that name. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is assurance. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. You don't have to worry about if you're going to go to heaven because you said a a, a cuss word today or or you didn't speak to somebody today. Of course, nobody in here curses, but just in case. The Bible says there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You ought to say that name sometime. There's assurance in that name, authority in that name. There is access to God the Father through the Son's name. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2 says, Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand. I'm surrounded by grace. I'm supported by grace. I have divine access to everything that is in heaven because I am connected to that name, the name of Jesus. There's access through that name. There's abundance available to us in that name. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even think according to the power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church, in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. There's abundance. There's more than enough. You don't have to be mad at me. You don't have to be hating up on me. What God will do for me, he'll do it for you. He's no respecter of person. We are already seated in heavenly places. We are heirs and joint heirs of who? Jesus Christ. I can enter into the very courtrooms of God. The Bible says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. There is authority in that name, assurance in that name, access in that name, abundance in that name. But there's also anointing for service in that name. We talked about this this morning, brother, in John chapter 15, verse 8. You did not choose me, but I have ordained you. I have appointed you. I have anointed you to bear fruit and bear fruit that remains. So that if you ask anything in my name of the Father, he will do it. There's anointing, not just for preaching, not just for those who are elders and deacons and ministers in the church. But if you know Jesus, the spirit of God is living in you. You have an anointing on you for service. Well, somebody ought to shout about that. Somebody ought to give him praise. It's not because we deserve it or we're worthy. There's an anointing. For service. One of the interesting things as I'm still trying to learn how to use my i10 phone, 
they're already, what is that what it is? Mark 10, I-10, iPhone, what is it? X-Phone, Generation X, whatever. I obviously am still trying to learn how to use the phone. And I got a call yesterday asking me if I was interested in the iPhone was 11, yeah, yeah, that one. I said, look, I'm still trying to figure out the one I already have. But one of the features of the phone that I have is that it, it responds to facial recognition. Somebody say amen. It recognizes my face. But just in case I, there's no light, uh, there's still an access code. And if I use the access code, all of the resources that are connected to the iPhone, text messaging, and you can even use your phone to call somebody. You ought to try that sometime. You can get pictures and Twitter and Instagram and uh, uh, Microsoft Word and uh, emails and, and, and uh, oh, I, I don't need any more emails. And, uh, I mean, there's so many things that your phone, you can be driving and saying, uh, tell me about George this or George that, and the Wikipedia will give you information about whoever you are inquisitive about. But the reason I have access to the resources on my phone is because I earn the right to have authority to make that information available. I am, my name is on the contract. And if I don't give you access to the resources on my phone, that phone will not respond to you. I want you to know that we have access to everything that is in heaven because of the authority of Jesus Christ. His name is on the contract signed in his precious blood. You ought to respond to the call because of the source of the call. Somebody say amen. amen. You ought to respond to the call because of the sacredness of the call. The sacredness of the call demands that we answer. Jesus says, follow me. Who is Jesus? Well, let me tell you a little bit about him. The apostle John helps us in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 4. He says, uh, he says, uh, that he says that with that which is from the beginning, speaking of Jesus's deity and eternality of Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, speaking of Jesus's humanity and incarnation, this we proclaim concerning the word. The life appeared, that is, Jesus appeared. We have seen it with and testify of it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father in the beginning. The sacredness of the call has to do with Jesus being God in human form. The call is supernatural. Follow me. It's not just a regular, ordinary job. The decisions that we make have eternal consequences as to whether people will spend eternity in the presence of God 
are separated from God in everlasting punishment. The sacredness of the call demands. And there are four things about the sacredness of the call you need to be mindful of. First of all, to follow the call properly, you need to be focused. You need to be focused. You need to be focused on Christ. Focus on Christ. What did Christ do? What was Christ like? Why did he come? You need to have faith. Uh, Thomas said, when the disciples said, the Lord has appeared, the Lord has resurrected. He said, yeah, I hear you. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me just be straight up with you. I'm one of these kind of church folks. If I don't see him, I can't touch the nail prints in his hand and feel the wounds in his side. I, I, I'm just not buying it. I'm not, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't going to be believing in no smoking mirrors. We thought he was the Messiah, but I watched him die. I watched him take him down off the cross. I was hiding, but I know, I know he's at the cemetery. And the Bible says, while the doors were closed, Jesus appeared to the 11, Thomas being present. And when he saw Jesus, the first thing that he did, he fell on his face and he began to worship. And he said, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus was just a man, he would have rejected as angels had in the past when Daniel bowed in front of the angel. And Daniel said, no, 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 don't bow before me. I'm just an angel. Jesus received his worship, but here's how Jesus responded. He said, you believe because you've seen, but more blessed are they who believe having not seen. Not only do we need to focus on the supernaturalness of the call, but we need to walk by faith, not by sight. If he tells us what to do, we simply need to get to stepping because faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Because without faith, what? It's impossible to please him. Christians live by faith. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God, God sees what's in your heart. Aren't you glad that he looks beyond your faults and he sees your real heart? He weighs your heart. The sacredness of the call requires focus and faith, but it also requires fellowship, not only with God, with Jesus, but with brothers and sisters in Christ. I love myself some Jesus. Me and my Jesus. I don't need nobody else. Well, that's not what the word of God says. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from sin. And so there will be focus and faith, but there also will be fellowship with other believers. And the final thing that's going to be true because of the sacredness of this call is that there will be fruit. There will be fruit. We have been created unto good works. You shall know them by their, you ought to be producing spiritual fruit. There ought to be people that you're pouring the things that you're learning every Sunday. You will not be excited about prayer. You will not be excited about your Bible study if you're not sharing what you're receiving. Because once you pour out (laughs) and power has left, you need to be replenished. Somebody say amen. When the helicopter, before I share about that, Paul helped us to understand the sacredness of the message and the call, the sacredness of the call that's on all of our lives. He said that the mystery that was unclear and 
and, and unrevealed in the Old Testament and even to the angels who desire to understand our salvation has not only been revealed now since Christ has come, He says that the mystery of the gospel, of the good news that saves, the Bible says that the Lord has placed it in earthen vessels. He has placed the truth of the gospel that is uh, that's able to save to the utmost. I said, I Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the deuteronomy, is the power of God. Well, that that power has been deposited into our formerly bankrupt account. It's residing in us. But the us that is residing in is an earthly earthen vessel. And the, the Greek actually literally means a porta potty. That's what they use that earthen vessel for. They didn't have, they didn't have inside uh, uh, plumbing. <laughs> they used porta potty. He said, God has deposited into earthen vessels. That, that, that may suit, suit you better. It's the treasure. Inside of us that is sacred. When that helicopter went down with Kobe Bryant in it and eight other souls, nobody cried because that helicopter exploded when it came into impact to the side of that mountain. Nobody was crying over the helicopter. But we were crying about what was inside of the helicopter because what was inside of the helicopter is sacred. Life is sacred. And and, and so we we mourn the death of Kobe Bryant and the eight that have died. I want you to understand, just like there was treasure in that helicopter, there is a treasure of God residing in you. And that's why we need to be careful about how we treat one another because inside of you, dwells the mystery of the good news of the gospel. Somebody say amen. The sacredness of the message demands, but also the specificness of the call. Somebody say the specificness demands an answer. Jesus says, follow me. Now here's the specificness of I will make you fishers of men. Now, here's three things. Here's how the specificness of the call helps us to understand what a disciple is. He says, follow me. In order to follow Christ, you must make a decision. That's your head. And he says, I will make you, that is what the Holy Spirit does internally to Conform us to make us look like Jesus from the inside out. That's your heart. He says, you will become fishers of men. That's your hands. And so a disciple is a person who has made a decision with his head to serve Christ as he is making him from the inside out with his whole heart. And the way that it's being proven that you made a decision with your head and your whole heart is by what you're doing with your hands. So a disciple follows Christ with their head while serving him with their heart and evidencing it through their hands. That's what a disciple is. So specificness is follow me. Make a decision. 
Don't base it on how you feel because the demand is that you make a decision. It's not an emotional decision. In fact, following Christ is a command. It's a command. It's a command. There was a, a story that's told, I'm going to show it real quickly. In World War I, there's a statue of Jesus. We know that there's no real image of Jesus that really depicts what Christ, we don't know what Christ looked like. And, and God made that intentional because we would be wor worshiping a particular skin color or whatever. But this, this statue in the back of a church was knocked off of its presses, and it was just sham, uh, uh, blown apart, and, and all pieces were all over the, the yard of the church. And after the bombing, the people of the church decided that they would reform the statue of Christ. They would find all the parts. And they found every part of the statue. It had cracks in it, but they found every part except for the hands. And they said, how can you have a Jesus without hands? And, I don't know. We might just need to get us a brand new statue. And then somebody got the inspiration to say, Instead of looking for hands, they made a bronze plaque that says, I have no hands but yours. And so they placed that bronze plaque at the bottom of the statue on the feet of Christ. You, what, what, when, when we talk about the specificness of the call, what that means is with my head and my heart and my hands, I recognize that I'm his hands, I'm his eyes, I'm his arms, I'm his feet. If somebody's going to be blessed, if somebody's going to be delivered, if somebody's going to be encouraged, it's not going to be because the Lord parts the Red Sea, not because he feeds 5,000, but because he uses me and you. I'm his hands. I'm his ears. The strategy, the specificness, the sacredness, the source, and finally, as I've already mentioned, the strategy. He says, follow me. That's our responsibility. You just... I will direct your path. My word is a lamp unto your feet. I will instruct you and guide you in the way that you should go. Hide my word in your heart, and, and you will not, will not sin against me. So we just follow him, studying the church. We're following him. That's my responsibility. But he said, then I will make you. It's his job to catch the fish. Some plant and others water, but who gives the increase? I don't need to be afraid. I don't need no seminary degree. I don't need no, all I need is to know Jesus because he said after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will, you who? I will, if you're saved, be my witness. In Jerusalem, Judea. And so the, the strategy is just twofold. Follow. That is my responsibility. And the results are his. I will make you catch souls. Catch souls. Now, when I was raised, stand with me. I was taught, now this may seem real old school, but we were taught to respect grown people. And, and nobody had to define what that meant. All I knew that if you were in a room and grown people were talking, you weren't asked to leave. 
you should have already been stepping. But because you were a little slow. My mother spoke in tongues, known tongues, called foul language. And so we won't tell you what she would say. But I, as I, as I, I played baseball, and, 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 but I understood that if my father, stepfather, who worked outside of the home, left the responsibility of taking care of the home, to a crazy lady named Lucinda. <laughs> that was my mother's name. Everybody knew she wasn't right. Oh no. She wasn't to be played with. And so sometimes I'd be over in the schoolyard right across the street from my house. I'd be playing with my friends, baseball, be the bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded. I'm up to bed. Everybody's depending on me on my team. Two strikes. I'm getting ready to be the hero when I would hear Howard. It didn't matter how loud the cheers were from the boys. There was something very distinctive about Lucinda's voice. It would pierce through the air. And when I heard her calling, I would drop my bat. <laughs> and you would think somebody was chasing me with a gun. I would shoot out of the schoolyard like a bolt of lightning. I would simply be a mist because Lucinda I didn't want her coming to the schoolyard. Now, if I had sense enough to obey the call of my mother because of the temporary consequences of being disobedient, she didn't believe in calling more than once. How about God's call on our lives today? Jesus said, follow, follow. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord. I forgot I preached tonight at Christian Stronghold. Amen. And I do welcome all of you even though it did not make the announcement.